Good morning, church. Uh, David was really nice when he said uh, Carl was going to come and preach you. So I'm not a preacher, so if you're expecting a, a, a preaching thing from me, then uh, I'm just a person who can talk, unfortunately, to the people who know me. So just bear with me as I try and get this thing up and let's pull up. There we go. All right. So you wouldn't believe it, um, but I'm quite nervous standing up the front here with all of you because it's difficult standing up the front. But uh, today, if you uh, allow me just to calm my nerves and close your eyes with me, I'm just going to say a short prayer. Most awesome God, thank you so much for bringing us here today. Give us peace. Help us to get something from your word and the words that come out through my mouth. Guide me and show me that these people may understand you a little bit better. Amen. So today, what I want to talk about is changing your content. But first, things that make you go, hmm. McDonald's. I should use these, shouldn't I? Uh, when most people associate McDonald's with fast food, from Happy Meals to Ronald McDonald to Hash Browns, when we see those golden arches, we get excited because we think about the joys of what's there. While some of us don't, they see it as junk food, food that we wouldn't go near. They're health conscious, but secretly I think they want some as well. Apple. When we see this logo, we immediately think of the iPhone, the iMac, or a number of shiny things related to technology. Apple has become a giant in the music industry, in, in movies, and have warehouses filled with shiny technologies that we secretly want and desire. Hero. When we see this word, we think of superheroes. Most of us grew up with Batman, with Superman and the like. We see these people as having attributes which are more than what we have. Stronger, faster, with more gadgets to help them in their daily life than we could possibly ever own or have. When I show you this picture, Vagrant, we see images like this one's and our minds are pushed to think about homelessness or displaced people. Our minds push us to think about shanty towns, people begging in the street and people who have nothing. But why? Why does our mind push us to think about these things? Why do we associate images or words in certain ways? Why do we create stories about what we see without really knowing the facts or knowing what's going around? We as humans create something which our good friends in the social health sciences call a mental model. That's nice, Carl, but what's a mental model? Mental models are how we understand the world. Not only do they shape what we think and how we understand, but they shape the connections that we make and the opportunities that we see. Mental models are how we simplify complexity of the things around us, why we consider some things really important and why we don't. These models or pictures or images or stories that we create in our head are how we reason. You see, our mental models have been so influenced by our cultural background, by our upbringing, by our spouse, our partner, and even our children. Our mental models or pictures have been shaped by our friends, by our mentors, and even by the people we may dislike. 
Each of these elements has helped build a mental model in all of us and shape who we are. Christianity. That word provides another mental model or picture. When you apply your mental model or picture to this concept, recreate a very personal image or story of what Christianity means to us. And guess what, my friends? I guarantee that we all have different pictures of what Christianity looks like. For a lot of us, the word Christianity causes our mind to conjure up images of things like churches, large or small, Christ on a cross, the crucifix, prophets, saints with halos, goody-two-shoes who do no wrong, sinners, the burning fires of hell, Satan, Lucifer, televangelist, and hypocrisy. So let me share with you a tale, something I'm calling board shorts, singlets and bikinis. You see, there once was a young man and a lovely wife and they were sharing their honeymoon together on the east coast of this beautiful country called Australia, travelling from Cairns to Brisbane. Now this couple had woke up on Sabbath morning and they had to make a journey down to Rockhampton. And during that time they thought they'd wake up, have a quick swim in the ocean, freshen up and head down. And away they went. And they were really hoping to worship because it had been some time since they'd been in a fellowship like a church where they could spend time worshipping on the Sabbath. They came, they found a church, but they were late. And all they had on was a pair of pink board shorts, a surfy singlet, a one-piece bathing suit with a pair of shorts over the top and a floppy hat. But in they came. And because they were late, unlike here where you have lots of seating, there was no room. It was a small church and there was only two seats right down the front. So in they came to the sceptical stares of onlookers and heads turning and frowns and why are these people wearing that? And they sat down the front. This young couple enjoyed the fellowship, enjoyed the service, but they waited because they didn't want to leave straight away because they felt the weight of the people looking at them. So they waited till everyone filed out. They snuck out, but the pastor caught them, shook their hands with sceptical looks, and they went outside. Now the young man, being the young man, thought, hey, we have no lunch. Maybe they could fellowship with us again and provide us some lunch if we hang around outside, as the young man was wont to do. Five minutes went past, ten minutes went past, twenty, and then the couple realised that there was no lunch. People had moved off into their various areas and they quietly walked out the gate into their car and drove away. That young man, me, is, uh, his image of Christianity and the model of church was changed forever on that day and it affected him throughout his life. That mental model that was created in his mind. Today, I want to challenge the model that you have built in your mind, the pictures and stories that you have created. I would like to see if you can change the content of the model that's up here. Another scholar in the health sciences, Jesus of Nazareth, gave us a different mental model. He challenged the established view of his time, and I'd say of all time. He did this through his ministry in very profound ways. The first example I'd like to share with you is in a very famous text. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 3, 15 through to 18. That's John 3, 15 through to 18. And if you don't, it's up on the screen behind me. Now listen to this from verse 15. Everyone who believes may have eternal life. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. A very well and known and common text, especially verse 16. In fact, I'd say this text is fundamental to the message of grace and of saving grace. But there are some things to notice. Firstly, let me draw your attention to two words in the passage, everyone and whoever. Why are these two simple words important? They are important because they challenge the mental models of the people in Jesus' time and our time. Secondly, let me draw your attention to some words which are missing. There are no words which describe the criteria for everyone or whoever. So, the text does not say everyone who is this or that but makes this, nor does whoever say with the exception of but by merit or whom. Everyone means every person. That's you and me. Whoever means whatever person, anyone, that. So when we put that context on the verse, I would like us to realise that what Jesus was saying was something very, very profound. Let me share with you another tale. A bad mental model. And now I'm entirely at lunch, old men, women and stunt pilots. Now my wife and myself, when we were first married, had a little apartment in Bassendine. And my beautiful wife, her mum, asked us to host an elderly couple for lunch. The couple was about 75 or 80, around that age bracket. And uh, Michelle's mum, Alvine, said she'd live with them and, and boarded with them while she was growing up and while she was studying and really wanted to show appreciation and asked us if we could host them for lunch. Me being me, my first words are, oh, boring old people. What would they possibly know? It's going to be an awful lunch. I'm going to sit around and I'm going to stare at the walls. I'd rather put a drill to my head. Now, what we forget when we're young is that old people, like me, were young once too, and we had lives. So these two wonderful people came into my home. The gentleman was tall, silver hair. He was straight for a person of 675, a little bit of a swagger in his stride, and his wife was quite shorter, but she too had once been beautiful. The wrinkles had aged her face somewhat, and her hair was well-kept but grey, and they walked in. As they walked past a sideboard that we had, he noticed a small little model aircraft that was sitting there. And he said to me, Oh, do you like those? Um, I said, Of course. I am a student of aircraft and of the Second World War and all things that fly. He looked at me and smiled and he walked past. He said, Oh, I used to fly them. Now, what I then later found out was that this gentleman was an aviator during the Second World War. He not only was a fighter pilot, but he flew lots of other aircraft. He was a trainer. He met lots of interesting people and was in rather dangerous situations and had a quite amazing life story. What was more amazing that his wife was a stunt pilot back in the days where they used to fly biplanes, fly them through barns, she used to stand on wings and walk across them and do all sorts of crazy things. They met, fell in love and the rest was history. The point is, is that I created a mental model of something which I knew nothing about but imposed my thinking on these people. Implications. 
As humans, we often use our pre-existing view of the world and of what we see Christianity be to create mental pictures of things. We think Christians should be like a set of criteria which people must meet in order to align with our point of views, a set of images of what the Bible is and what we think the parables of Christ were, a set of do's and don'ts that help us navigate this icky and yucky world of people who don't neatly fit into our view and our perception of Christianity, what we think people should be. So, when we look at the words everyone and whoever, we tend to only see those people who fit nicely into the boxes we create. The gentleman down there with the suit and the tie, happens to be my dad as well. The lovely lady over there with the beautiful dress. The man with the matching jacket and pants. The young person with the lovely neat hair. But everyone and whoever also means the person who stole your car park this morning. It's the co-worker who lied and got that promotion that you really wanted. It's the friend who slept with your spouse and your spouse. It's the person who stole from you. It's the person who abused your children. It's the person who sits on the street and asks you for money. And it's the druggie on the train who stares at you. Christ sees everyone and whoever quite differently. In fact, he goes on to great pains to show us what he means. So turn with me, if you will, to Luke 23, 41 to 43. It's Luke 21, 41 to 43, and it will come up on here in a sec if you don't have it. In this story, you see, we find Christ crucified on a cross with other criminals. Now, we think it was only three, but actually, there was actually quite a few there. The Romans you know, were judicious, and they would like to do things en masse. Some of which of those criminals were taunting him and abusing him. But one of these criminals, however, had something different to say. He said, We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now let's just pause there for a minute and understand who this criminal was. Crucifixion is on the top, or top of the list of the most painful ways anybody can die. It is an agonising death which is prolonged with every breath and it comes with torture. And people are made to suffer. And the Romans used this to make a point. It wasn't pleasant. Typically, however, people who were actually crucified were tied to a cross instead of nailed. However, depending on the severity of the crime, they could be nailed. In the time of Jesus, however, for those people who were nailed on the cross, these people would have needed to have done something quite awful, despicable, vile and disgusting. So the criminal who had just turned to Jesus actually could have been a child molester, a rapist, a murderer, a psychopath, a monster, or worse. But Jesus then said to him, Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Christ doesn't ask him for repentance. He doesn't ask him for a sacrificial offering or a list of things to go on and do. In fact, Christ doesn't ask for anything. Jesus simply acknowledged that this person existed and told him that he was saved. And here's the kicker. Not only was he saved, he had a place in his kingdom. 
Matthew 21, 31-32. Here we see Jesus talking to the chief priests and elders of the people. During this conversation, Jesus once again tries to change the mental picture of who would be in heaven and who would likely end up there. And he says, Truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. You know, prostitutes have always looked down, have been looked down at. They sell their bodies for money, and we as Christians find that completely unacceptable in the mental models we have created. It was the same in Jesus' time. Interestingly enough, tax collectors were hated just as much, in fact more. See, in the time of Christ, they enforced the collection of money from their people to the Roman Empire. And most often than not, the tax collectors were members of the very same community in which they lived, which made it even worse. Yet once again, Jesus says that these people would be in heaven before the very chief priests and elders. John 8, 4 and 9, 4 to 9. The teachers of the law came to Christ and with the Pharisees as well. They wanted to bait him. And they said, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, it's famous words, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard and saw it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, which I thought was interesting. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Folks, Jesus once again tries to change the content of these learned people's image or mental picture. This time, Jesus starts by writing down the things people do when no one is around. Jesus makes the point that we are all sinners and fall short of his Father's glory. So, Carl, how do we change our content? You've told us all this stuff, but how do we change? Christ has given us a set of mental models throughout the gospel, pictures to live by. We are provided countless examples of parables and stories which try to demonstrate how we could create a new mental image or picture of how we can be. As humans, I find that we tend to take Christ's mental model and squeeze it, bend it, rotate it, curve it, so that it can be pushed in the confines of the box that is our mental model. We take Christ's content and we edit it, we change it. We could, however, take our mental model and replace it with what Christ is suggesting. Imagine the profound change that would occur if we could do just one of those things. The irony, however, is that in order for us to do this, we have to accept a free gift, the gift of grace. And grace does not come with terms and conditions, with service level agreements or fine print on the contract. 
The only thing we need to do is to believe. And I like this. Your sin can't kick you out of God's love because your righteousness never put you in it. Let me read that again. Your sin can't kick you out of God's love because your righteousness never put you in it. God saves by grace through faith. It's a gift. All you must do is receive it. So, the answer to my challenge, can you change the content of your mental model, is quite simple. Believe and receive. Yeah, nice car, but so what? My good friend Mike uh, sent me something, an extract that he read this last week or so, and it really struck a chord in my heart. And while I have changed some of the wording, I think it speaks to the so what. So I wanted to share that with you. If you're in a sexual relationship which you know is not right, God's grace is for you. If you're an addict trying to beat an addiction, God's grace is for you. If you were out drunk last night or the night before, it's okay. God's grace is for you. For you. If you aren't sure about what gender you prefer, God's grace is for you. Grace, my friends, is for the broken, the lost, the empty, the confused, the desperate, and the rejected. And this, what I put up a second ago, is, is something which is quite profound to me. Every sinner has a future, and every saint has a past. Let me read that back to you again. Every sinner has a future, and every saint has a past. Things that we never want to admit out loud ourselves, but God knows, and he loves us just the same. So, whatever you have done, whatever you are doing, Whatever you are about to do, come to God. His grace just may change your life. The love of God is limitless. It embraces all mankind. No sacrifice was too great to bring its unmeasured intensity home to men and women like you and me. The best that God had to give, he gave his, his only son, his well-beloved. So what is the hope? Friends, let me leave you with this. I think that Christ, throughout his ministry, has encouraged us and pleaded with us to change the content we have used to influence our lives and to shape our point of view, our mental model, our pictures, the stories we put in our heads. Christ has given us a new way of thinking and asks us to be the whoever. He asks us to use his content to create a new way of thinking. His content will lead us to a new life. And at the end of the day, if we believe, Christ is all we need.